2: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we will be talking about Insidious, which arrives in cinema screens and on demand this Friday, and we've also got an interview with the director of Insidious, Philippe Van Loo. I am Jake Cunningham, and with me, making a return, is Sam Howlett. Yeah, I thanks.
1: feel like uh, Cooper have just I've just emerged from Doggy Jones finally, yeah. if that happens. <laughs> yeah well, um, that may not happen yeah that definitely may i mean i'm not even sure if it did happen if i'm being honest so <laughs>
2: um yeah so it's good to have you back what have you been up thank to? you
1: uh, i've been finishing my dissertation jake and mm. having a really fun time doing it
2: yes many yeah. words
1: many many words uh many long hours started again a couple of times just just yeah a really Re- recommend it to everyone if you've got any free time in your hands just write fifteen thousand words yeah. on something that you're vaguely uh,
2: confident with yeah just, just vaguely confident that's, that's all you need yeah. like, A glimmer so any of confidence. struggling writers out there just like just think I think I know what I'm talking about and then just
1: do it Yeah. until you've reached the word count and then stop mid word
2: <laughs> <laughs> so where does that start so is your word count 14,000 if your, words,
1: if, your words, if your word count is 14,999 and you're like halfway through the word and and it's just A m you've got to stop
2: so so you're you're saying that the last word of your dissertation is just and And yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) what's wrong with that Uh, it sounds good i look forward to reading it um right so what you been watching
1: so this dissertation took over my uh relaxing watching life so i've only been watching stuff i needed to watch for the past few months yes i
2: I was i texted you stuff like rubber glove jimmy (laughs) yeah and i was
1: like i don't know what that means so I finally, so I finished last the end of last week, and I've had five days. Okay, I'm going to finish Twin Peaks. And on Monday, I watched, I think five episodes. So I'm using my time well these yes. days. Uh, I watched five episodes and finished Twin Peaks: The Return.
2: Wow. And, and
1: uh, I mean, it, it, it there was eighteen episodes. It had it, it started and then it finished. Yeah. That's all like, we can really say about Twin Peaks. I think.
2: Yeah. I have begun thinking of it as, not to give spoilers. Yeah, we'll away, avoid, really.
1: we can just talk about it in broad strokes, I
2: yeah, think. But I think of it as episodes 1 to 17 mm-hmm. are a 17 hour long film. Yeah. And 18 is that film's epilogue.
1: Okay. Because, it, yeah, it, you kind of get two conclusions, really, don't yeah. you? Yeah. You get episode 17, which wraps things up. Perhaps more neatly than I even expected.
2: But because it's the penultimate episode, yeah. it feels you all you instantly know it feels a bit off. It feels wrong. Something's wrong. Up? Yeah. yeah.
1: And it wraps up quite quickly in a way. Yeah. Considering that a lot of plot points have been dragged on. Considering it's been seventeen hours. Yeah. Yeah. But for then to wrap everything up in the way it did, it felt quite quick. And then you have yeah, this kind of epilogue, which seems to me almost like the start of a new
2: yeah, thing. It almost was like episode one of season four. Yeah,
1: which probably will never happen. But
2: yeah, the, I was talking to someone about this, and there was, we were saying, oh, with the like critical and fan yeah. reception it's received, you'd hope that Lynch would think, oh, right, I'll do four. But obviously, we're not David Lynch, so when he doesn't people, think like a
1: normal human yeah. being, so he's not going to think that way at all. So when
2: everyone suddenly tells you to do yeah. something, what does David Lynch do?
1: Not do that. Exactly. Well, I know a position of um, director for Star Wars Episode uh, Nine has just opened up, so yeah. I'm sure he'll do that.
2: Yeah. I've, I understand David Lynch loves porks. <laughs> <laughs> Backwards talking Porgs. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I, I really liked it. I think actually Twin Peaks to Return because I think a lot of people would be apprehensive going into it, mm. um, but I think it did something that we didn't expect it to do, which do something new, yeah. really new.
2: Yeah, I think when you, like, it really, in a way, like, it's a shame to lose the real soap opera Yes, of the original series. But this, like, when you, like, post Lost Highway, when you look yeah. at what Lynch has been making... He's given up on narrative. Yeah, this is dream, dream, dream narrative, him anymore, yeah. isn't it? And this very much feels like a creation of his, for the director he is now. Yeah. And I think that's what ultimately we'd rather see as Twin Peaks was a creation of his at yeah, that time. exactly. And there were, I think there's, there
1: is enough sort of um, sentimentality in it to please people that loved the narrative of the old Twin Peaks. There, yeah. I think there's just about enough of it there.
2: Well, and he manages to really... I think the thing that annoyed people for a few episodes at the start that now is almost universally loved is Dougie Jones. Yeah. And Dougie Jones has his own story... And yeah, that's and people are really going to cherish that, and that's got the it's got the melodrama and the romance that yes. was for me maybe missing from a few episodes because that was something that I, I loved. think
1: it missed, it missed heart occasionally, yeah. and there are there are times when it has that which almost make you miss it even more. Mm. You think why isn't the rest of it like this? But then you think no, you, we shouldn't be given what we want. Yeah, and the last episode just really doesn't give you what you want in any way, shape, or form, apart
2: from setting it up. So that it could continue mm. in a few and years, perhaps. And then actually that feels right because season one ended like that. Season, season two, two ended like, like that. Yeah.
1: It would be weird if it was all closed off. You'd almost yeah. feel empty, yeah. I think, than if it hadn't. So yeah.
2: It's always nicer to live in a world where there's the potential exactly. for more Twin Peaks. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it came and it was the best TV show of the year,
1: probably. Oh yeah, 100%.
2: Yeah.
1: So well worth the hype mm. in the end. Uh, what have you been watching, Jake?
2: Uh, well, right on time, uh, <laughs> I, I watched Christopher Nolan's. New Speaking film. of current hype, yeah, I watched Dunkirk, and uh, I I've been saying for weeks and weeks, like, yeah. oh no, I'm gonna gonna go IMAX, I'm gonna do it justice, I'm gonna do it how it was meant to be seen. Yeah. But then it ultimately reached a point where I thought, well, shouldn't this be good regardless of how I watch it anyway? Mm-hmm. And so. I saw it just in a in a regular screen, yeah. Regular sound, nothing special with location wise in that respect, and I thought it was good. I I was I wanted to like mm. it more. I I did. I can say that I really appreciate it. Okay, and that as a it's like it's it's a five star piece of filmmaking, mm. like the the craft that is on show is excellent and everyone's doing a great job and it, it was just like you can see everyone's doing well but it just lacked for me a little bit more character emotion okay there was the the narrative was there yeah and I, I liked how it was put together and the three timelines really worked for me but it didn't the thing that I think the the three timeline thing also stopped it from having was a gateway character i think that's meant to be fion what's his surname
1: i don't know no. but he's he's the one you kind of think of as the main character right yeah he's the, yeah. the guy on the beach he's mm. on all the posters he's mm. pretty much at the front of the film yeah and he's a bit of he's a bit of a um sort of dicaprio in the revenant where he's kind of this character that you can possess yeah you are he is your your eyes and ears on the ground literally but then and with I, The
2: Revenant, you're with him the whole time. Right. So, so and when you're dropped separates. right into the action. Yeah. And, and weirdly, my favorite person in the whole thing is Tom Hardy. Mm. I think he's the best thing in it. Yeah. Because I think he's got the biggest challenge and, he's, and he completely overcomes it. Well, he can, he can, that man can act with his eyes. Yeah. And I, really, I, I think some people are annoyed with a, there is a shot near the end of the film where he comes he 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 shows his face face. and i actually felt like he earned it
1: yeah um i i loved it but maybe it's because i saw it when it was i didn't have enough as much build-up as you have maybe that's part of it but i I I think think i'd still like it if i had only seen it when you saw it
2: yeah i and i think maybe if i had got swept up in the hype at the time, like yeah. when it was what was it, six weeks ago, yeah, and, something like like, that. and everything was Dunkirk, yeah. Um, like I'm, I'm saying this is a four star film, and I think it's really good, and like this is what cinema should be, yeah. That you, the, this does really work as a big screen experience, but that also raises the the debate about whether that's what it should be. Like, right. should you be making something that is? really at its best in that environment and i would be curious to see what it looks like if you were like on an iphone
1: of, yeah or like on at home yeah yeah um i think i just i mean i think the three timelines is it's clever it's very nolan it's, it's very nolan but then it's not annoying nolan no it's not like i'm a genius yeah. it's not like that i didn't find it um distracting no. and i know people that loved the film and just didn't didn't get the timeline thing. They just right. didn't work it out. But they didn't. But they didn't impede how they saw the film.
2: Oh, I really liked it, and it's because that's the. I love those puzzle pieces that come with yeah. his, his films. And when you do piece like so, when you when you see from the boat perspective that yeah. they notice a plane's going yeah. down, and, and you, you realize fifteen minutes ago you saw the yeah. other side of that conversation from the plane. I, I really liked that, and that yeah. I think that helps with kind of that broken fractured perspective that comes with the memories of war that you it doesn't you don't remember a war as yeah. we woke up in the morning we left for exactly. war yeah uh, it is this fractured thing and I think that's part and of you're not I for. don't I think the thing about the emotion
1: the emotional character is that yeah in war you're not feel you're not thinking about how you're feeling you just need to get to, just do what needs to be done and you're not thinking I'm scared I'm this I'm that you just need to get things to get done to survive yeah and there is that
2: aspect of putting on a brave face but I don't like there was no one here who I could feel was that was for me an opening into an emotional connection
1: okay I I think weirdly the most uh, emotional heavy lifting was Harry Styles
2: yeah I think he's he's perhaps the most complex in the last moments of the film yeah which is and I
1: think that could you know reading out that speech could have been done really badly mm. and could have been really on the nose, really hand fisted but I think it's done really well and it's done just at the right moment and I did cry.
2: That's interesting, that because yeah. I, I really didn't get along okay. with the last few minutes of the film. Because
1: I could see it being, you know, overtly, sort of hideously patriotic in a way mm. at a time when we don't necessarily want to be patriotic. But
2: yeah. For me, it was too far.
1: See, I felt it. it, it earned that. Right. I thought that it wasn't being... It was more... It felt sincere. It didn't feel forced. Mm. But
2: that, uh, that's really because, yeah. Again, for me, it was the aspect of it feeling yeah. forced that it was shoehorned okay. in. And I kind of there was. There's a bit where we see Mark Rylance's character kind of just go like go into a crowd. He just yeah. like, his he just says bye, okay. and then goes into a crowd. And it's a really short cut, and it it doesn't linger on him or anything. Yeah. And I thought that should have been it. That it's just all the characters should yeah, have just, been, just, dis- just disappeared. Just go. Yeah. And I think that would have actually had more impact for me because then it makes okay. you think this was so many people. Yeah. 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 Um, but there we are. That is that is Dunkirk and Twin Peaks. Which obviously- <laughs> well, join us next week. <laughs> yeah. um, but talking of people, I suppose, putting on a, on a brave face mm. uh, amongst a war zone, uh, we must talk about Insuriated, which is uh, Philippe Van Loo's new film uh, so it, we say new it premiered at Berlin Film Festival in yep. 2017 this year so nine months ago now February I think wasn't it? Yep. Berlin and it won the Panorama Audience Award and I think we had already discussed it on this very podcast
1: we have you can uh, go check out our archi- archive on iTunes and SoundCloud and it will be uh, the Berlin Festival Review Roundup show where uh,
2: Kate and Damo discussed it they both liked it yeah. Um, and this is, it's all, it has a link to Dunkirk there, in that these are tough films to say that you like.
1: Yeah, because they're so kind of, um, I don't know, it's harrowing the words They're mm. kind of, they're tough. Mm. It's weird, you, be, you admire them. You admire them. It's hard to think, oh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked that. Mm. Um, I think as well, it's interesting that, because when I was thinking about things to talk about with uh, Insuriated, I was thinking... Oh, it's an f- interesting take on the war film. I sort of thought, oh, is it a
2: war film? Should we call it a war film when, well, compared with I
1: Dunkirk? Think, Dunkirk think, is a war film, I think.
2: Well, Van, Van Loo says um, about Interiated, which we'll we talk about it, plot-wise, it, he calls it a film about war, okay. not necessarily a war film. Um, and why do you think that is? Well, we
1: don't see a single soldier, primarily. Mm-hmm. We don't see any war actually take place. It all takes place in this one apartment. The war it revolves around the situation in the apartment, but doesn't necessarily, obviously it impacts it, but the, the film, yeah, there's no war in the film per
2: se. Yeah. Um, so there is a, a family who perhaps have also taken in uh, another family t- as a safe space, um, in inverted commas, how safe mm. it is, um, in an apartment building in Damascus. And there is a lot of violence going on outside and destruction and for anyone listening that um would just want a warning there so we will talk about um yeah a lot of violence and war and sexual assault in this episode um so if you would rather stop listening um go ahead that's absolutely fine and so we we begin the film with these three there are three shots um one of an an older man who then who's smoking and looking out a window who sits down in a chair and kind of, and the camera shows his really nice library of books. Mm -hmm. And then we see uh, another character go over to a water tank and then fill up a glass and splash her face. And then we see some kids as well. And going into the film, I, um, as I try to do with the podcast ones, go into it with as little information as I can. Um, I thought, oh, this is kind of, maybe this is, uh, we get a few different perspectives of uh the syrian war from a few different uh locations and characters and then the following shot after these three introductory ones is a tracking shot that goes through the house and you realize that this is all the yeah. same group of
1: people yeah you realize this is and this is the film that we're not really going to be leaving these people or this this space and that's a really nice introduction so
2: it kind of pulls the rug from on you about what you expect you're going to watch Yeah, definitely. And so we have this other family who are uh, with a newborn who are also staying in the family home. And so we have we have a lot of people here. We have uh, the I suppose the two leads are the Um Yazan played by Hiam Abbas um, and a character known as Halima played by uh, Diaman Bu Abud and these are the kind of two lead women in the film but then we also have some of the relationships aren't actually entirely clear
1: not clear at all especially there was one character in particular who we'll talk about that I still
2: can't quite work out his place in the family Um, because there are two young women uh, an adolescent boy a very young boy a grandfather um, the husband of Halima their newborn and it's all moving around this apartment all at once Um, And I suppose the plot really begins when Halima's husband leaves the apartment building um, because he has arranged some kind of uh, escape. Yeah. And so leaves to then bring back someone to help them get out. And I suppose that's where, yeah, that's where it begins because he leaves and there is a sniper out there and he is shot down in the car park. Yeah.
1: And then, yeah, that's the incident that kicks everything off. And that happens really early on, and it's actually quite... Oh, God, this is... I thought the whole film was going to be that. There's going to be yeah. a lot of... I thought the sniper was going to... It was going to be almost a sort of action thriller in a way about yeah. they have to leave while it's a sniper. Yeah. But and I'm glad you, it didn't go down that way. And it,
2: you, you, it's, it's quite nice because you, you feel like with these films, that's the looming threat. Yeah that's always going to be there. And so it's nice that that happens very quickly. Yeah. To leave you with the characters for 80 minutes. Yeah. And to actually really Absolutely. get into the dynamics of this, this family and their relationships. And so the, the, one of the characters sees this sniper attack. After disclosing it to uh, Umiazan, they decide to hide that information from Halima, yeah. the chap who's been shot's wife. And so going on from there, we end up just in this house as this kind of secret burns away. And then at another point, people break into the house as well. And yeah, I suppose that's, it's, it's there's not a huge amount of story here. No, I
1: think that's enough. You need to know really yeah. going in. Okay. So uh, as promised, uh, I sat down with the film's writer and director, Philippe Van Loo to discuss the ins and outs of the film. Enjoy. All right, and we're delighted to be joined on the Curzon podcast by Philippe Van Lu. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, so um, we're talking about Insuriated. The film is set against the backdrop of the, uh, the Syrian war, which we know is very real, but uh, the people at the center of your film, the family in the apartment, I'm wondering how real are they? Are they based on some sort of reality or are they completely fictional?
0: Well, for me, they're completely fictional because, right. of course, I created these people. Uh, but then I believe that they're uh, just about... Uh, everywhere and mm-hmm. uh, in every war at the same time. Um, what was given to me was an anecdote by a friend of mine who's a director of photography, and she's a Syrian director of photography. And in 2012, so the war had been raging already for a little bit over a year, and uh, it had been a year and a half that they had been like sliding progressively mm-hmm. into it. And so uh, in December 2012, she was uh, in Paris, and so I asked her about her family in Syria, and she told me that they didn't have any news from her father mm. that was uh, stuck, trapped inside his apartment in Aleppo. And uh, it had been three weeks, and uh, they hardly knew anything yeah. about what was going on for him. So that was really a key to for me, because from the beginning, in, very, in the very early stages of the... the, the in the demonstrations in the spring of 2011 uh, when when people were shot at by snipers yeah. snipers from the roofs uh, of the buildings uh, I, I realized that this would probably soar into something really dramatic and um, I wanted to do something but then I was helpless I had no yeah. I just didn't know how to go about it and so finally this um, this uh, anecdote that she gave me just like uh, gave me a key and so that was one key that I used Just figuring this man inside his apartment gave me the idea of like placing other people in there uh, and mostly women because Mm. I believe that in times of war sure it's mostly women that are left uh, behind men are generally away in a sense
1: okay um, and your, your previous film as a director, The Day God Walked Away, it also ha- shares with Insuriated this idea of looking at a conflict, but not from the point of view of a soldier, from the point of view of a civilian, civilian Absolutely. women. Um, can you talk about why you feel like exploring national crisis in this way, rather than through the soldiers, but looking at sort of the people who had effects rather than the effectors in
0: that way? Because... Um Heroes don't really interest me. That's one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm very interested in ordinary people, right? Because they, I belong to them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm myself an ordinary person. Yeah. And uh, what would I do if I was placed in a situation like that? That's one. Then the other thing is that I believe that um, when we when when we're facing a situation like this, and we're not a fighter, we're not armed, we don't know how to cope. Mm. We find ourselves making decisions that eventually are, um, um, uh, that are the results of our. I mean, th- that are guided by our instinct mostly, yeah. and not our reason. I mean, would we, if we start reasoning in some situa- some of these situations, we're dead. Right. Okay. And so, the instinct of survival takes over. Your body takes over. Uh, at some point, which leaves you with um, these very irreconcilable situations sometimes, where you find yourself guilty mm. of having done what you just did, but then there were, was there any other way yeah. of okay. acting? So uh, that's that's at the center of this film. I think it was at the center of the other film yeah, as well. absolutely. And so that's been a preoccupation of mine. I'm okay. Say. I realize that.
1: Yeah. And um I mean I've seen the film being described as as a war film but there isn't any actual war per se in the film. I mean what do you think of it being called as a war film? It's not a war
0: film, it's a film about war. Okay. And it's, I mean, to me that makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And uh it's a it's I mean the war is there, it's everywhere, it's all yeah. around them. Um and uh and, and 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 we see how they cope. We see how mean they try to remain standing in a sense with difficulty with uh, with um, no water with mm, no electricity telephone that's erratic and stuff and um, and yet trying to organize himself to sort of keep a sense of normality Mm. uh, which I believe is the only way out Okay. Uh, if you don't try to be domestically routinely yeah. uh, in, in this kind of situation, and you let go, you let yourself drift into something that is right. abnormal, then you become crazy. Yeah, and
1: you have that in the film a lot. Like they're constantly cleaning and dusting Absolutely. and cooking, and yeah. the kids are playing. And there's a really nice relationship between the the grandson and the grandfather. But yeah. He kind of when he kind of pricks him, and there's that.
0: And for instance yeah. about about the little boy, I mean, isn't it extraordinary how he copes with it. Yeah. In a sense, because he's uh, he's a young boy and he can just like switch off yeah. the anxiety at points because he needs that. And it's a question of it's also a question of body language, I guess. Sure. Yeah. It's
1: like seeing you know, war through the eyes of a child. Yeah, have to yeah, they turn it on and off, they don't react the same way we might, for example. Yeah. Um and in um, in your previous film, The Day God Walked Away, um, you look at the um, Rwandan genocide several years after it happened. But the Syrian war is, is still ongoing. I mean, does that affect how you wrote and then made the film? And do you think that will affect how people watch the film? The fact that it's something... It's not like when we watch a World War II film, we know how it ends, we know that it does end. Whereas this is, is still going on, seemingly infinitely. I mean, what do you think about that?
0: You're right. Um... I'll tell you two things. Okay. Uh, um, The first first one is that um, uh, it took me 10 years before I imagined that it was a possibility for me to write about the genocide in Rwanda, which had been really a shock to me and to many people, I guess. Uh, And so from then on, I decided that this was the one film that I really wanted to make, and I I did it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when, when... Selling a little
2: That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com
0: slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: This situation occurred in Syria. Uh, I was in the same state of shock in a sense. And uh, I just didn't want to let 10 years Mm. go again, go by again. And, uh, and so I wanted to act as quickly as possible. I wish that the film had been out three years ago. Mm. Unfortunately, it takes time to be financed and all that. And so we have to fabricate it in a sense. So, um, and you're right, the situation is ongoing. And unfortunately, we don't hear so much about it anymore. No. And um, I think we pretty much abandoned these people at this point. And so, um, it is difficult, for instance, when the film is acclaimed, when we get praised for mm-hmm. it, when we receive an award. Eventually, yes, it is difficult to just rejoice at that and not think that eventually it's, uh, there are people in in in, in great suffering. Um, but then I realize also that's the second thing I wanted to say. I realize also that. What was totally unexpected for me was that we got uh, audience awards. Yeah. Congratulations, by the yes. way. <laughs> and uh, the, the first one was in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Then we had another one in Malta. And then we had a third one in France just a couple of weeks ago with different publics, yeah. different audiences. Um, and what it tells me is that there is a sympathy for the Syrian mm. people and for the Syrian refugees. And I think that eventually what, I mean, the the, the audience coming to see the film is sensitive to that situation in a way that is kind of new because the film offers them uh, another level of understanding or Mm. a different emotion I'd say more than like, like this, something that is really emotional. And yeah. So that all these people that have seeked refuge refuge in, 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 uh, in our countries, in Europe uh, for the last three years, we've seen them coming by, by waves mm. and not really knowing. We know that there is war in Syria and that yeah. they're, f- they're fleeing Syria, their country. But then we don't have any real um, real uh, sense of the reality that made them decide right, that sure. and that pushed them outside their country. And uh, maybe the film helps, in a sense, bringing some images into yeah, that. Some awareness. Some, some, yeah, some awareness. Yeah, some awareness.
1: And I, I can't help but notice that you've walked in here with a uh, Fire at Sea DVD. And uh, um, I mean, these are both films that are, you know, like you say, they're bringing something important to an audience's attention that they may not, they may have, that may have drifted past them. Um, Do you think film has kind of a responsibility as an art film to kind of show these things to people, to not just be entertainment?
0: No, I wouldn't say that we have a responsibility, or our films have a responsibility. I think that we have a response, I, mean, I don't know, it's not a question of responsibility, it's a question of humanity. Okay. Um, and uh, I I believe that uh, author cinema is, is most generally uh, seeking humanity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wouldn't know what to do with a film that would pretend to be an author's film and that would be uh, fascist, for instance. Yeah. That would be strange, wouldn't it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about the um, the filmmaking process. Um, so something that really struck me and struck a lot of people is the use of sound in the film. Um, because, as I mentioned, we don't really see any specific war going on, but we, we know it's there all the time because of the sound around them. Uh, Could you talk about the sound design of the film and whether the actors could hear the sound of the bullets and the explosions or if they were added in post-production?
0: No, everything was added in post-production. And and then for the major sound events that were like an explosion or something like that, um, we had uh, like a cue uh, with uh, an element of sound that was played that was like puke in in terms of uh, (laughs) realism. But <laughs> but then um, and so uh, the good thing or and the sad thing uh, is that all the actors in the film uh, have first uh, first hand experience wow, okay. of of the situation of right. war. I mean, Hiam Abbas, she grew up in the north of Israel. And she had rockets flying over her head. And Diamant Boabuch, yeah. uh, she's Lebanese from Beirut. She grew up in the war as well. And all the others are Syrian. And um, most of them are refugees. And so they've been um, refu- refugees living yeah. in, in Lebanon. And so they've been exposed to that themselves, the kids, essentially. Yeah. And um, so everyone knew. And also, and, and that was a help. To me, because yeah. I am the one that's completely candid yeah. about this. Okay. I have never been <laughs> in a situation of war in my life. And, um, and so the sound design was completely fabricated, but then at the same time, again, uh, with the help of my image editor, yeah. uh, Gladys Juju, who is also Lebanese and who also grew up right. with the war around her uh, neighborhood. So she could tell me where this was realistic and authentic and where it wasn't. Right. And okay. eventually she would have placed a lot more. Yeah. Uh, because when it really happens, it's a lot more than what we hear in the film okay. in a sense. the so actor had to hold back a little bit. We had to hold yeah. back because otherwise it gets unaudible and, and yeah. I mean you lose touch sure. with the sense I mean reality in the cinema is kind of difficult because it's authenticity. Yeah. And it, finally, it's something that is uh yeah, it's tricky in a sense. But then there is another thing, another aspect to that which is um uh that as in the first film, I tend to use sound much more than image mm. to convey these things because I believe that sound has something that is really much more immediate. Yeah. Uh, on our on our uh, senses and so subconsciously uh, we 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 hear sound we de we don't have to to read it we don't have to decode it it's just instantaneous mm. and it goes really to the stomach right away yeah and so that's really important to me because that's that's what I'm trying to to work on and and uh, I don't have, and I don't think I would like that to have the means of fabricating a situation visually. Mm. That would be a situation of war. It's not. I, I don't find that so interesting in a no. sense. Okay. I find it much more interesting to actually what is, and it happens also in in the uh, in the rape scene. Mm. Uh, when we are in the kitchen yeah, bring with those people. Yeah. That have, taken, that have seeked refuge in, in the kitchen while this young woman, Halima, is left alone facing the aggressors. I find that it, it is more painful for the audience to listen when we're yeah, in, the, in the kitchen than watching her yeah. being beaten by those two guys. Yeah. And, and the reason is for that also that we have the faces of the other protagonists in the film, the mother and but the others yeah. as well, who listen too. And 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 what we read on their face then is coming together mm. with what we listen to, or, or what we're listening, and that's really that's really strong. I always find that a silent face comes with a better sound.
1: Yeah. Okay. And even. Um in what we see of the the rape scene. It's all close It's all close up on Halima's face rather than, you know, like a wide shot showing it. So again, yeah. even when
0: we're there, we can, it's still the sound that really gets us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Plus, at the same time, I think that the only uh, way to deal with that situation for me as a filmmaker and being sort of uh, respectful of the dignity of that character mm. uh, was to be on her face and was to be yeah. all, at all time with her. And so that's, that's why we did this this way.
1: Absolutely. Um, and also the set, I mean, watching it, it feels very kind of, it feels very, I think, claustrophobic, perhaps is the word, because you know, we're so trapped in this apartment and people are going in from one room to the other through these corridors. There's so much moving around, but it's in such a small space. I mean, was that what the set was like, that kind of claustrophobic environment or...?
0: Well, it was maybe in a sense, but because we were so many in there, mm. but then uh, um, it was. Um, I mean, the sense of cluster I mean, this claustrophobic sense is, is in the picture. I think that the framing helps. It's. Uh, I've been. It's. It's a difficult question to answer for me. It's. It's more a question of intuition, uh, but I think that the framing is always a little bit tight. Mm. And um, and for instance, would I have given it a little bit more space had we seen a little bit more in terms of perspective, in terms of geography or so? Yeah. Uh, maybe we wouldn't have that much of a, this claustrophobic sense. But then um, that's the way it happens. And then also we're, well, yeah, we're like, we have all these walls that are right there and then all I mean end the faces mostly so it's uh, it's complicated I just I just I just can't really I mean I think it's more intuitive than yeah than sure also maybe I'm trying to be a little bit technical because I'm trying to decode this in a sense Um my the, the, the lenses uh, that we used, the focal length we used, were normal focal length. Right. And um, uh, that are comparable to the eyes view. And so um, the camera is always strictly being with the people in a way that would be if we were at arm's length of the yeah. character in a sense. So that may give a sense of it. Okay,
1: yeah. I'm just... Yeah, sure. Philip Van Loo, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm sure that was really good.
2: It sounded good. Um, Yeah, we definitely know how that went. Yeah. And it sounded like you had a really good time and a good chat.
1: I definitely didn't do the interview after we recorded the podcast.
2: No, not at all. I Um, can't believe he said that, though. No, that big thing. Which changes everything. I can't believe... He's directing Star Wars <laughs> episode nine. I can't
1: believe the whole thing takes place in the Black Lodge.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, scoops here. Yeah. On, on the uh, Curzon scoops. Film Podcast. Right. Um, so, Insuriated, what do we make of this?
1: I thought it was incredibly impressive considering the parameters of yes. the filmmaking.
2: Um, I think that's a really good way to frame it in terms of like its creation. Um, yeah. And the way it's been created for me... By the end of it, I think this is maybe not missold, but you could tell people this is a horror film.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's got
2: all the staples of it. Um, You've got people trapped inside. Yeah. You've got, like, in another plot, the snipers and the war outside. That could be zombies or a virus. Um, And so because you keep people in, you keep your locations down, you've got a minimum budget, and you're focusing on characters and dialogue and interaction And for me, yeah, that makes a horror
1: film. And there are definitely points of comparison with um, It Comes at Night, which we also discussed on the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, And that is an out-and-out horror film. Mm. Um, So yeah, just just changing a different aspect of the the narrative could completely change the genre. Mm. Because everything that they feel, everything that happens, is pretty much what happens to an extent in It Comes at Night. This sort of fear of who do we trust, who's on the outside,
2: who gets to open what door, what doors should stay locked. That's all in here as well. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, another thing that we would find a lot of in horror that was absolutely essential to this film is the sound work.
1: Mm, uh, yeah.
2: And you talk about uh, um, uh, sound in a film developing a mood and developing an atmosphere, which it does here. But here the sound is plot. Like, yeah, it. This film would not work without that really amazing sound work that's done when people are looking out a window and you just hear a jet or you hear mm. a single bit of rubble crumble or yeah. something, the fear that those sounds inject is really impressive.
1: Yeah. And the sound of the bombs or the missiles, whatever they are without even seeing one. Yeah. It's even more, it's imp- even That's more it. effective.
2: Yeah. We barely see anything. What do we see? The one gunshot at the start? Yeah. And we don't see a gun. Yeah. Yeah. Really impressive sound work. Mm. I think that makes the film. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, and credit to the actors as well, because obviously they wouldn't have had no, yes. those things to react yeah, to exactly, yeah. Uh, so they're acting against nothing, and it's so it's really been put together in the edit, the mixture of sound and vision, and uh, it, it creates such a, a an awful mood, really. That from yeah. your first moments in the film, um, that you just you translate one percent of what that feeling must be. Yeah
1: and there's this whole thing about um you, yeah you you said it earlier that the they're trapped in a safe space but it's not safe no. and there are events that transpire in the film that show this really is not a safe space in the slightest it's it's both it's both it's as safe as they can possibly get i suppose the film is saying that in this the syrian war there is no safe space mm. you make what you can with what you've got but yeah. you truly can't be safe and that is a horror film
2: yeah. aspect yeah and something that i think is is interesting with the close quarters and the number of characters that are in these close quarters other than the matriarch figure i suppose Mm. we're not really sure for a good half hour or so whether there will be a secondary lead of sorts everyone is kind of the camera moves around a lot. It's on this, imagine a steady cam rig mm. and it just kind of moves in between rooms, seeing snippets of conversations yeah. and interactions. And then it is with Halima, the wife of the chap that gets shot at the beginning, yeah. who then establishes herself as what the second lead. And then in the second half of the film, probably the, the main character almost as well. Yeah.
1: And I think she has the most... Um, to do in terms of we can't judge that but in terms of acting she goes through the most performance is
2: really good she's for me the highlight in it yeah she's excellent Um, because about halfway through the film there are these knocks on the door that are set up again we're looking at creepy knocks on the door people looking in do we trust them do we not and there are about three knocks on the door that get ignored and then ultimately the house gets broken into yeah and in this moment, uh, Um Yazan makes the decision to like take her family or who we think of as her family yeah. away and kind of bolts the kitchen, leaving Halima and the newborn outside yeah. of the kitchen to face these two men that have broken mm. in. And that's when we see a gun Yeah, as well. The, we do see a gun that you're right.
1: And this, yeah, this is kind of the, almost, almost the centre point of the film in a way. Mm. Um, it, it's an extended scene of, sort of torture and horror. Um, dip, very difficult to watch. Uh, and you mentioned earlier that there are people might be upset by things we're talking about. And this is the scene, I think, that will yeah. push people over that edge. But it's so well done. Um, and you really don't see much. That's yeah. the thing, because it's all done really with a close-up on Halima's face, yeah. most of it
2: so because initially the scene is just set out that Halima is um, trying to protect the people in the house and that she won't give them up to these men and she's ultimately assaulted by one of them and yeah as you say it's really horrible to watch and it's horrible as well that the camera is also put in the kitchen Mm. where there is the mother, maybe four children, the grandfather, yeah. and everyone knows what's going on, and everyone yeah. knows the kind of moral deal that's been struck by yeah. not opening the door.
1: And again, it's it's sound. Yeah, it's not done with visuals. This this scene, as, as such, it's all done with the, what what's heard through the wall, mm. and and the um, that so the, the teenage boy who maybe is one of the daughter's boyfriends or. I think that Cousin? was... Because th- he, call, he calls her auntie, but I don't know if that was like a term of endearment.
2: Well, I think there's a few terms, like titles that people have, but yeah. maybe more friendly titles. Okay.
1: Um, but yeah, he desperately wants to go out and help her. Yeah. And he's told, no, stay here. And yeah, there is that, that struggle to stay in that room and listen to what's mm. going on without crying, without making a sound.
2: Yeah. And ultimately, she does save them as well. Through kind of giving yeah. a, giving herself up in that instance, yeah. and when you look at her in that moment, you think this she's her performance is already so impressive at just yeah. how horrid she must be feeling at this yeah. point, and the kind of grief and anguish and anxiety that is already present in the situation on top of what's just happened, and at that point you just you almost feel like that, just don't say anything, mm. you can't. Yeah there's nothing you can do
1: Yeah. Um, something I find really interesting with the film as a whole and this is to do with um, the war itself this is a war that is still going on mm. and most quote unquote war films or films about a war so like World War 2 like Dunkirk for example yeah. we know what happens mm. we know the result of the war we have hindsight to favour the you know the heroes essentially the good guys win and when we watch I don't know platoon or um, apocalypse now we know what happens we know the war eventually finishes this is one that's still going on now and we don't know if this situation will ever end for these people or when it will and also they we don't know because like, it's, it's, it's a complicated war. It's a multi-sided war. That's it. We but don't these know guys where that, anyone is. these guys that come into their house, we don't know what side they're on, who they are, what if they're soldiers, government officials. Yeah. I mean, they're certainly not dressed like soldiers. They're just dressed like normal civilians. Yeah. But yeah. So in that way, it's not a normal war film because we don't have... We don't have the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. We're
2: watching And it. every bullet and every jet and every bomb at no point does anyone allude to who could be yeah, f- firing it
1: exactly yeah we don't um, this family seemingly don't have a stake in this war it's not like they're a you know they're an invaded country that are waiting for someone to come and save them or anything like that yeah. it just it does seem it seems kind of hopeless for them
2: yeah that's it and i something that's admirable in it is the way that they just people try to try and get on yeah. as well there's a really lovely line um where he uh, and character says now some more dusting than lunch <laughs> yeah i think that's it like that's yeah. what you're getting through things you yeah that's it you're surviving by giving yourself the thing to look forward to is yeah is lunch and that and then the scene when they do have lunch for a, a s- few seconds before someone makes yeah, a scene but, i think this is a moment of peace yeah
1: don't they, don't they laugh or something about something as well? Mm. Yeah. And there's also kind of little dramas within this surrounding conflict, like yeah. when the uh, the boy like, sticks a pin in his grandma's, yeah. grand, uh, grandfather's ass. Yeah. That's really <laughs> funny. Yeah. Yeah. And he chases him around the house. So there's just little moments like that that kind of show you that this is essentially what we think of as like a sort of, you know, low-budget family drama.
2: That's exactly it. Yeah. And then, then you suddenly, you're in another yeah. film, for, you're in like the squid and the whale yeah. for, a, for a sec- <laughs> seconds and then yeah. the sound comes in again and you remember everything that's going on. Yeah. And I think the actual set decoration of the home is really interesting because when we look at in in a lot of uh, films about war, a home of that is at the center of a mm. bombed area will traditionally not be a kind of middle-class home yeah. that is furnished with a... Well, a library-sized bookshelf, yeah, and, and like, a mate, yeah, and yeah. a big table, yeah, and there's. I think that was actually really interesting way of presenting war affecting a lot of people as well, yeah, definitely. And, and not that I liked the film, but I think the the story in The Kite Runner okay. similarly looks at someone who is really quite wealthy and just how war in this respect. I know a lot of the time this is not the case, and yeah. it will predominantly affect people in a different um, class. But this just is just sweeping over everyone. Everything, yeah.
1: Everyone in its path, mm-hmm. yeah. The film that it reminded me of a lot was um, Under the Shadow from last year. Right. So obviously they're totally different wars. I mean, Under the Shadow's set in uh, Tehran during the Iraq-Iran war. But they're both about a... Essentially women in charge of a family while war surrounds them. And in Under the Shadow... She's, ultimate, she's the last one in the, this apartment block like in Insuriated mm. and Under the Shadow has this kind of supernatural plot going on as well but in both of them you have they're kind of surrounded by a conflict that all they want to do is survive with their family mm. and they refuse to leave their, their, their homes because they think they shouldn't have to and that's interesting that these two films have come out at the same time well within you know, close proximity to each other
2: yeah, yeah. Um, right so we should probably wrap it up there but if you do want to watch Insuriated and you can't make it to a cinema, do not fret. Fear not. (laughs) Because if you only have an internet connection, you can watch it on (laughs) Curzon Home Cinema as well. Um, Yeah, so it's exclusively on Curzon Home Cinema from today, or depending on when you're listening to this, it'll be on there now. uh, And you can check that out if you cannot make it to the cinema. But if you can make it to the cinema, I think that would be great, again, for the sound work yeah, um, the sound. and that, that yeah. immersion within this home I think would be uh, really worth checking out too. And as well as Insuriated, if you go on Curzon Home Cinema now and you are also a Curzon member, uh, if you log in to the service, you can now access Curzon 12, which is a new service for Curzon members, which gives you access to 12 free films uh, they're already on there. So it's for 400 Blows, Fish Tank, The Kid With a Bike, uh, Rien plus, Michael H. Profession Director, Alps, I, Anna, Wreckers, The Lonely Wife, First Position, Modern Times, and Mid-August Lunch are all on there and they are now all free. So once you've watched Insuriated, you can check all of those out as well. Easy. Lovely stuff. Right, until next time, it's goodbye from Sam. Goodbye.